Welcome to Tilth Talk Radio. Today we're going to be talking about uh, our most common questions recently being asked by farmers. In our spotlight, we'll talk about the planter pace, picking up, egg history minute. We'll talk about spraying and our wrap things up with our cool beans that's corny and current events. With me today are Bill Schomburg. Hey guys. Max Garvey. What's up everybody? Todd Schomburg. Hey to all the Tilthies out there. And I'm Matt Brueger, all with Tilth Agronomy. So the the Bucks did not do it in six. Or seven. Or seven. Uh, I forgot to look, I saw some of the Celtics game last night, but did they beat them? The Celtics yeah. hammered the Heat last night. Yeah, they hammered them. Oh, because they, they were ahead, and then the Heat were ahead in the third, and then I didn't see the fourth quarter. They ended up beating them by 15 or so. Oh, okay. So it was pretty good then. Once the Bucks lose, I'm done. I'm just, yeah, I don't, I don't really follow the NBA anyway. And yeah, We went out for my daughter's birthday was, last night, okay. so it, and it was on the TV okay. at Texas Roadhouse. So nice. that's why I was watching it. Yeah, it's, oh, 25 they beat him by. Ooh, 127, yeah. 102. Cause, I mean, it was, while I was watching it, it was like tight because they were up by, t- Celtics were up by 10 and all of a sudden the Heat were up by 10. So it was like trading the lead back and forth. But apparently the, the Celtics took the game into their hands in the fourth quarter. And I think the Bucks were lucky to get it to seven. Like they should have lost it like three separate times. The way they blew some leads and that one where they fiercely came back. They, wasn't something like the worst three-point shooting? They in? were terrible. Yeah, they couldn't make a three. And Celtics were hitting a lot of threes, so right. that was kind of the difference. And it was like one of the highest. Giannis had like 200-plus points, in yeah, 50 rebounds, and a ton of assists. It was like one of the most for one player in a series, and they lost. So, well, yeah, because yeah, no, apparently no one else could make a shot, it at least tough. not consistently. It was tough. The whole thing was tough. I, do you guys feel as bad though in the Packers? It's like way worse when the Packers are eliminated, right? Like, yeah, oh yeah. Like the Bucks, I was pretty mad for a night, or I like felt kind of bad, and then by the next day, it was... I think it's because you can see when you see a series, you're like, you know how things are going. Like we're not, they're yeah. not dominating this. They're they're barely, right. barely riding it out. So then you're not a, like with NFL, it's one and one done. game. Yeah, like that's good you point. either play good or you don't. And you, there's no second chance, third chance, fifth chance, seventh chance. You either play good or you get a punt blocked and a touchdown in the last four minutes of a game and you lose. <laughs> like, yeah, because your that, special teams is terrible? Right, like that fast. Like, boom, four minutes, you're done. Your but season's hey, we, over. We stand by our guy. We stand by our guy. We stand by our Stand no. by your man. We got fired. Well, we stood by him all season. We could have fired him. There's a high school coach. In Seymour, Wisconsin, probably, who could have handled special teams last year for the Packers better than freaking what's his name? Maurice. Yeah, there you Maurice go. Maurice Already forgotten his name. <laughs> I'll never for, I'll, I'll never be able to forget how terrible of a job he did. Never, never forget. Never be able to forget how terrible of a run we've had on special teams for, I mean, what are we on our fourth now in this five guy's, years this new coach seems legit though he is yeah, oh yeah he, is awesome. he, he was the he's a head coach. he was a head coach yeah. when he, we got him basically oh, he, he is all went, business he could have went and been a head coach and he chose to be a, a a special teams coordinator like he's he's gonna be good so he didn't want to end up like juan grodino you know what else is good max have you seen what's out i've seen it i haven't had any yet. you haven't been been tough to find. Does Bushlight taste any different in John Deere green? No, it just comes with a forty dollars uh, charge per can. Really? Yeah, it's a little little pricey. Yeah, I mean you gotta have it's got John Deere on. It's gotta be more expensive now. Do you get Operation Center with a case? Like, no, does it does it that's track free anyway? So that doesn't matter now. Does it track your drinking? Like, oh, <laughs> we're halfway through a thirty pack, boys. No, time, but I, time to go back to the store and get another one. No, but I heard every time you buy a case, some guy in a Every time you buy a case of John Deere Bush Light, a guy in a Case IH shirt yells at you the whole way to your car <laughs> and tells you why you should buy a Case IH beer instead. That, that was the best meme ever. Is it's the it basically the meme is a John Deere guy holding it and saying the first case I ever bought. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. 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 That's, it. it's that's funny. It's very weird. Like I don't care who you are. It's funny right there. That's a very specific branding, which you wonder if it'll work for like our. Our right. case guys now, like if you're if you yeah, if you're a red guy, are you not drinking Bush Light 
ever again then? Because what? Why are you pointing at me? <laughs> I'm drinking. I have, so I have a farmer that's like a huge case guy that drinks bush light like it's going out of style. So man, that'd be a dilemma him. for him. I mean, I guess you just don't buy the special edition. But yeah, that's a tough. Like when they have the hunt, so, so what like you're saying the is they should have went with Alice Chalmers orange, Ooh, and then everyone would have been fine. Yeah, because they're like uh, they don't even make those. So. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't exist. And like the ten people who like Alice would be buying it up. But like Bushlight last year did the corn cob one. Well, that's fine. You know, that's not gonna. And this winter they did the ice the fishing ice one. fishing one. Yeah. They've done the camel versions. Yep, camel but cans, I don't yeah. know that we've ever seen them branded to a specific. You know, it'd be like putting Chevy or Ford on a can. Really, that would be. Be bold. Dicey. Maybe that. Yeah. Maybe that's next. Yeah. They they'll just keep <laughs> shrinking their their base. <laughs> yeah. Until they're only selling to one place. Yes. <laughs> John Deere's a pretty big brand, though. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's, and it's, it's yeah. And there too, it's such a special thing to get that, like you said, people just buy the regular if they don't want the John Deere version. I would be willing to bet that there is a Case IH guy somewhere. Who drank Bushlight his whole life and will never buy it again? I guarantee there's at least one <laughs> who will never buy it again. Hey, we all know that John Deere has been trying to be as colorblind as possible with their technology side. So now maybe that's what they're hoping for with the beer cans that you'll be colorblind. Who knows? Could be worse. We could have monkeypox. I guess I don't know. That's the next thing. The next. You guys seen that? No, I have not. It's a new murder hornet. Yep. Yeah, monkeypox is coming for us. Which is ironic because before this, I was looking it up, and apparently there was an outbreak back in 2003, and even was here in Wisconsin, and I remember nothing of it. I mean, I, we would have been in college at the time. Max would have been, you know, just getting out of diapers. But 2003. Yeah, 2003. Seven. I have been seven. Yeah. So like I said, just getting out of diapers. <laughs> yeah. He'd be playing his first t-ball game. You got her. He probably still had the pull-ups at seven. <laughs> I might have, honestly. Kid. I'm a big kid now. <laughs> yeah. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I I don't remember it at all. So No, I don't remember. So apparently it's back. Guess who's back? Monkey Box is back. So we'll see. Shows how slow of a news cycle we're in. For now. Which is kind of okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm okay with that. We're good. The last two years it was okay. a little well, uh yeah. Yeah, it's less, been, less been a bit much. Yeah. Give it like give it like two weeks. It'll be like no news is good news, so Yeah. Hopefully. All right. Guess going to get into this for today. Oh yeah. So our topic for the week is questions we've been asked by farmers. So here are some of the burning questions coming out right now and we're going to break them down and talk through some answers and possible solutions maybe to these problems. So what do we got first, Max? All right. The first one here, I think we're going to direct this one towards uh, our sweet Billy over there in the corner. Oh, this, Billy. This, this really goes right in his wheelhouse this week. Uh, after the five to nine inches of rain, yes, you heard that correct. Five to nine inches of rain. Is my fertilizer or chemical still there? I think we know the answer to that to some degree, but I guess I wanted to take it in a different direction. We had a a little pocket to the north uh, in O'Connell County that legitimately got between five and nine inches of rain in about two hours. And it's like, what'd you say, Max? Like 30-some roads washed out. Yeah, and it's a disaster. A lot of culverts, yeah. Yeah, a lot of culverts washed out. But It's a I, lot of guessing game to get around. So that was a week ago. Um, and like Friday, I was looking at some fields, and then earlier this week... And just gullies everywhere and, and silt at the bottom of the, you know, it ran down the, the field and at the bottom of the field. What do we do with this? But then the question was, what do, what's left? Like, the seed is planted, it's sprayed, it's fertilized. Like, what do we do with this? And and um, obviously, every year we're not going to deal with this much rain. But what I wanted to take it more towards was maybe some of our talks about cover crops is some of these other fields that were cover, like, they survived really well. Like, obviously, that's we, we all know that, right? Like, cover crops has helped that. But um, what I told the farmer was like, well, first off, we're going to have to do some soil testing once this field kind of gets healed a little bit. And there's some they're going to replant, so they're going to 
work them and get the get the giant gullies worked out and and then replant and then we're going to take some soil tests to see what was there but i had one farmer that actually didn't have it planted yet so we he worked it the co-op spread fertilizer on top and then the next morning we were going to work it in and we didn't get there and it was neat to see like some of the so the fertilizer some of the fertilizer was still there like depending on residue whether it was corn stalks or soybeans like the corn stalks still i could find fertilizer all over the place but the soybeans like really couldn't find any so some of that residue caught that fertilizer that much rain though might have washed it in you right right right. i mean so like you say it is something that you can't answer right away that you do need to test for and see what it did because it could have mineralized or some of that like even in a wheat field the wheat might have pulled it up you know before you lost too much of it that way so yeah those are tricky though as we're getting these certain areas that just get hammered with rain of you know finding ways to make sure we can try to farm around it is going to be a good point bill is having cover crops and some no-till and just working some of that in where we can is really good to help that. I met with a farmer in one field with an insurance company because the rain had like washed the seed trench away and you could see the seed exposed and it just gullies everywhere and it's going to be silage. And he's like, how am I going to chop this? I'm going to wreck semis, you know, and and they're going to be going and not see it and just, you know, fall. So our, you know, our decision was we're going to actually spray off with clethodem the corn work it and replant because I've found that, you know, if we just go in and replant, sometimes those two different plantings don't jive, you know, one actually becomes a weed, but then like legitimately half a mile up the road, there's a new seeding field that was, it was rye and he no-tilled alfalfa into it and it's the same slope and there's zero erosion. So like just, the economy of, of that cover crop doing that much work on saving that soil. What was interesting, what I saw this week in one field was, <clears throat> you know, we'd seen the washed out seed trenches and some other stuff and, you know, gullies. But then we got to a point, I was walking the field of the farm and we're looking and it's like, okay, well, why did it wash here and there out, but not in between? Like it's the same surface, old sprayer tracks. Must have been just sure. enough depression, and it washed out a sprayer track, but not the rows in between on no-till. So that was kind of interesting. A hmm. little bit, maybe, yeah, like I said, a more depressional area. I'm What I'm curious to see is the areas that the soil washed to. Like, is that going to be too much soil that that seed, that shoot won't be able to get up yet? Right. Yeah, We. this was yesterday. It was up there and there were some spots where you'd have like yeah six plants all kind of in a circle around each other where the seed trench had washed out and then they all just kind of came up in that pile which i don't know if that's better or worse would you rather it not come up or have this little like basically weed patch Random. it's like a cob like when a cob sprouts of of corn that you can't really manage in corn very well that that is to that timing of that in I would call it a disaster. Is we're so vulnerable at that time in spring, just in general. I mean, yeah. even you know, at that point, like trees were. I mean, they threw a bunch of leaves on, and grass is coming still. But that early in the spring, we're very vulnerable. Versus a July timing where we would normally get a thunderstorm like that that might bring that kind of rain in. Not in May, we're just not ready for that. So that's a tricky part too. Is just trying to have our fields you know, have something there in those vulnerable stages to get them through to when the corn's bigger, you know, and then even in the fall, a lot of time we have more residue there and stuff to to hold things, whereas in the spring it breaks down and it's not not there as much. So it's just, that is, it's just too bad. I, honestly, when Max does that, like, puking in your mouth sound, <laughs> like, everything Bill explains do is, like, <laughs> makes me feel like that because it just, it's, it's frustrating and watching those storms when they blew up, it was unbelievable. Like where I was, we didn't get any rain and you just kept watching to the north, just 
at building and building and building and then just the same well and cell went down the same track and, just and the problem was it just kind of sat there it didn't right, move it, didn't move, it built yeah. and it didn't move and that's why they got so much rain the other thing too that the difference between like a no-till or doing some ver- even vertical till um seeing the amount of residue wash like all of a sudden it just kind of built up that residue and now you've got this heavy mat of residue probably over at least a row or two in spots in some places you have none and is the corn going to come through that it seems to be so far but i think the county spent a lot of days this week digging corn stalks out of ditches too because they saw that sure but you know and the other thing like this is a small percentage of our acreage oh right right but well it was a yeah it was a very localized area that got hit right well what was odd is everywhere else got basically no rain right out of that storm the other thing that really surprised me is sitting in the field with the farmer and insurance agent. He basically said that on a replant scenario like this, it's a flat eight bushel payment. Like that's all they get is eight bushels. So that's like 40. He said it was like 40 bucks an acre. Like that's not, it's not going to cover much. No. You know? So that was kind of disappointing that, and maybe it was just the policy that the guy had. I, you know, I'm not up on insurance policies too much, but I kind of expected that that would cover a little bit more than just forty dollars an acre. So he's hoping the seed company will help in with replant, and then obviously we may have to spray it again. We may have to add some fertilizer. We got some tillage to do. We got replanting to do. So there's going to be more costs than forty bucks an acre into fixing this. And our decision was to leave the silt in the bottom of the field right now because it's still mush and then wait till harvest and possibly i don't think it's going to happen but possibly try to move it back in move it back up the field if we can in the fall after harvest yeah it's it's just yeah not a great scenario no matter what what way you look at it so and if you don't the hard part like you said with replant is you're always going to have rows that are off and or doubled rows or something where sometimes it makes you question, was it worth replanting just to, to get that little bit of extra corn? And I don't know what the right answer is. But, yeah, let's move on to number two then. What's our second one, Max? Yeah, I got this one a couple times this week. Uh, can I plant beans that are a year old? So leftover beans we bought last year, we had you know 12 bags left over, 10 bags or whatever. Um, can I plant those this year? And then if I do, what changes do I have to make? You can do whatever you want. Yep. You can do anything you dream of, kid. No, uh, yeah, you, you can. I'll plant your off beans. It's not going to like be the end of the world. I generally suggest upping your population a little bit. Yeah. And being prepared for a lower stand. Um, it does, one of the big questions is, how did you take care of it in that year? Was right, it just where were sitting, the beans? Yeah. Was it just sitting in a pole shed somewhere with a dirt floor and birds and mice everywhere? Or was it in a climate-controlled area? I just left them in my planter. That's okay, right? Oh, that would be very sad. <laughs> they probably wouldn't go through, honestly. They'd be so, they'd be so rotten. But, yeah, so... Storage is key, though. I, I had yeah. a... Two years ago, I had a dad and a son both keep beans. One kept them in a tote in, like, their shed. He, well, it was their shop, really. So it was climate-controlled, like you say. And in general, it didn't get... Because guys will worry about, like, heated. And that's important, but humidity is a big one. So just in general, it's well-insulated, so it wouldn't get real humid in there anything. And the other... The dad kept his beans in, like, bags, like, basically in a pole shed, and yeah, when they went to plant them, one one was like the the beans in the pole shed that were in bags were basically like half germ maybe, and the other ones were just fine, like were just as good. They were sure. just as good as when he got them. So it is Max right. It's how did you store them the past year, and most mostly that you can use them. The other thing I would say is inoculating them. Yeah, like if they're right. inoculated. You're obviously going to want to do it again. Do it again. Yeah, it again. It's not going to carry over. Right. So some of that kind of stuff isn't. Fine. And most of the time, like these beans were pre inoculated. That's why they couldn't take them back at that time. So well, I could see too, you, you got a tote, you open it, 
and something changes with the weather or whatever and you don't get the tote planted out, you know, or they're not going to take a half a tote back. So that's your scenario. Or you're like, well, I paid this price for it, and if I save them, if the price goes up, maybe I'll be ahead anyway if I right. save them, even with a little bit extra seed co- seed planting rate. All you need is a bottle of sun dropping of ice grips. Get that inoculant going there. My other my other watch out is make sure you have the same trait, same herbicide trait. That is one thing that you know if you change herbicide programs right. through the year, just makes and this shouldn't have right. to be so said, but it does have the to ten, the ten enlist. acres of extend beans inside yeah. the enlist. They both field, start with E, yeah. so it right. shouldn't should be fine. It shouldn't, but it had I had a farm two years ago that did it, Max. Like they saved extend beans, and then we went to enlist, and we go, okay, make sure these, you know, like yeah. Keep them separate. I don't know. The guys do that with new beans. You don't have to save the beans, and they <clears throat> well, they'll still manage to plant. It's, well, I had I had like a couple bags left over, so I planted them. Like oh. the other thing I would say was stored seed is don't plant it first. Is usually the soil not this year when we were planting the soil was warmed up, but in general the soil is colder. It's not as you know that, that seed's not going to have as much vigor. So. In general, it's nicer to kind of wait till that. You don't want to wait till the end because then also you might not get planted. It might where you're storing it another year, but somewhere in the middle is always better to plant stored seed. All right, let's move on to number three. Where is my hay at right now? Can we cut it? Is it time to cut? Actually, the most years I feel like it's. Is it time to cut hay yet? Can we cut hay yet? And this year it's been more like. Yeah, I think your hay is getting close. Oh, no, don't say that. We're not ready. I think it's been more of that one. Um, but first crop rate, that's always... We start first crop, and that sets our tone for the year, right? Usually by second, third, fourth crop. We're not having to monitor as tightly. It's more watching the calendar and making sure we're going by days. Um, but first crop, there's a lot of balance and a lot of time spent making sure we get that one right. Um, so I don't know where are you guys at so far. It depends where you are geographically, but you know some of it's going to be ready probably within this next week or at least in two weeks here. Um, I, I would somewhat disagree with Matt on that. In that geographically, we had so much heat everywhere for four days to yeah. drive the hay that we went from being small to big. So what's going to be tricky is it's it's just going to depend if you're okay with taking a little bit of a quality hit. Well, to get a little bit more tons and, and harvest when you can. Because Max is right. The main problem is, is you still got a little corn to plant. And now you got to decide, do I want to stop planting to go get my hay? Or do I just want to let this out? And, I, you know, as scissor clips are coming back, we're seeing that it's sort of lower than we'd expect because we had four days of 90 degrees. So that plant's going to throw a lot more lignin in it. So it's just a... A different year, different growing first crop than we're used to. We're used to first crop that, I mean, it might hit 90 sometimes, right. but we were breaking records for heat. The, that this is this hay thinks it's second cutting is what it sort of thinks, the, I guess. The other issue that we have right now is that normally we can make our winter cereals and then just kind of yep. lean into our hay. I think today, if it was dry, you could swat it all. Yep. It's all ready to go. Like, let her fly. The, and that complicates things because that stretches every harvest crew. Yep. It stretches every farm. It you know it, it just, the whole thing just gets a little well, bit tighter. Our winter cereals are going to go harvesting winter cereals to manure to corn. So, like all those guys that do custom work with manure and planting are going to be stressed too because harvest and all that's going to be slammed in the same window it, too. And we planted ninety percent of our corn in four days. That's the other right. thing. Like we. We pounded. I mean, right. we moved on acres. That was great. It was awesome. But it really tightens everything up, and now we're just going to do it all again. I, I would say one thing with hay that'll be interesting to see is since we had that really hot week, then it's been we had a cool off. So the alfalfa, in a way, we we usually get that hot week right during harvest kind of timing, where all of a sudden it goes from being like okay quality and then just falls off a cliff to bad quality because of that. So what's odd now is we went from like, you know, obviously super high quality and the say 250 RFQs dropped down to like 200 to 220 and now we're cool. So it should sort of sure. flatten out potentially to actually give us a potentially a longer window to, to harvest it. So I, I think that's a, 
a tricky thing to decide. I, I well, with the weather, I think you're not going to have a lot of choice in that because they're talking rain through the weekend. We got quite a bit of rain already this week, and if it's cool, it's not going to dry out very fast. So, right. for the sake of not messing up your hay fields, you may have to wait yeah, a little bit longer. We got we got rain till like Tuesday, and then rain again starting Friday, Saturday, yeah. Sunday next week. So it's not looking great. No, the the right when it's ready time also is when all the rain came. So yes, that's a frustrating part too. Where you're going to have to, as farmers, decide how to cut around rain windows and and what the right choices on that. So these guys with Harvextra that might hold it a longer, they're going to weather it a little bit better, possibly. Yeah, definitely a chance. So you're saying there's a chance. All right, so the next one. What do we get next, Max? This this one right here, man. This is a great one. Can I spray XYZ herbicide, insecticide, anything on XYZ crop? Now, I'm going to add in the multiplier. The jug doesn't have a label on it. I think it's this. It's four years old. (laughs) So we're cleaning out our our more. you're, You're talking old, Kim, yeah. Well, just in general, like we do the whole. When we get to spring in the spring, it always seems like, well, we had a little bit of this leftover last year and a little bit of this leftover. How do we, can I mix that in or well, what will happen if I do that? Um, I don't know if you guys all feel that way, but I, ooh, this week was, there's a lot of them where we were just like, ah, yeah, I mean, we can put that in. I just, <laughs> what I struggle with is with how high value the current crop is. We, you can't afford any screw ups on that, that, that we're, we're talking about a half a jug of old chem. That's yeah. Chem is higher price now, but, when you the jug's probably worth fifty bucks, and I don't know, like mine has been I, more over application and putting on chem that we don't necessarily need, sure, but wanting okay. to use it up and sure in a way in a way, way it's not a bad idea because you do look at an efficacy loss in that chem probably right. so when what normally is an over application or unnecessary yeah. is probably not as yeah the potency is down yeah, so, so yeah it, it's not a bad idea it's just. And some of it's just yeah. getting rid of those jugs, right? A safety thing too, maybe. Like I just oh, yeah. don't want all this stuff hanging around anymore. No, I yeah. get that. You don't want to store. I burn down to me is always the best time right. to do stuff right. like right. that. Yeah. Last fall when you're burning hay down, let's find a way to use up some of that. I mean, it doesn't always work. A little close. You got to watch your plant back restriction, on right? That. Like that's, that we could can, we can burn hay down with Caprino, right? <laughs> no. Like we said before, oh. you can do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. But the consequences of those actions. There was one I got to spray this week, too, that with it being new, we talked a lot about Acheron GT last year, and it's brand new. And um, one thing to remind people is, so when they came out with Lumax, that's kind of like the old Acheron, and they had like a post-application version of Lumax, which was called Halex GT. So different name. So that was great because it was like you couldn't screw up them they were like you knew they were similar but okay this one's different this one i use post this one i can use pre right it's clearly defined different name right. different right use yep acuron you can spray pre or post up to about 11 inches acuron gt is a post application only it does not have the safer in it for pre-emerge applications so that's been one that's kind of been with it having that sort of same name years ago it's just Acheron with Roundup in it. Like, I can do it the same thing yeah. as what I could do with Acheron, and you can't. And I'm I'm guilty of saying that, too. Like, like right. Like, I have Which, said and, that, and in for all intents, it is basically Acheron just with Roundup, minus, minus one safe. Minus, that's and, the, and the atrazine. And the atrazine. But that's the... You just Yes, it's the same, but it's not. You still have to pay attention. And, and you can spray Roundup anytime, usually. So, you know, you you would think right. just adding Roundup shouldn't be, this, shouldn't this, change. Like this, the logic, the logic in your head is, oh yeah, this, this should work. Like why right. not? The one, the one thing I will say is in general, if I'm using Acuron GT, I have it planned for a post application. Correct. I just so, think this year where, where we did get the heat, we got enough moisture to really get some flush of early weeds that guys are just, and it's like, Hey, I can spray now before the rain. Like let's go. And, it's like no, just remember to look at labels and know what you're spraying. The other two you were, applied what? Yeah, we should have did one of those. What did go, you do? What did you do? 
the other part is like there's Acuron Flexi, which is Acuron without the atrazine. Without the atrazine. Yeah. And you pretty much can use it like right. Acuron. So Are it's we like, just giving up on atrazine? I'm sorry, this is a side tangent. Are we just like no atrazine nope, don't use it anymore? Like is that the I just feel that like oh. They're just every mix is oh we don't put atrazine in anymore but it's the same mix. I think like, a lot of these are selling it that way just so they can broadly sell it to atrazine prohibition areas and there's no worry of it and you just add your own because um, Resicor doesn't has atrazine and a lot yep. of people add atrazine back. You can. So I was really another side note was really pumped how Resicor knocked down some alfalfa the other day. Oh, yeah. No, oh, no till. We'll put that in the old tickler yeah, file for later. Boom. A little reservoir on alfalfa. Be- better than like the crystal wood in it. Yeah, Acre. like we no till corn into alfalfa field, and I'm like, okay, I guess we're doing this, and it really worked good. So, stinger. Yeah. You think it's the? I know. Yeah. Don't you love that when a herbicide like you're like you think it'll work, but you're like, yeah, I wouldn't be my first choice, and then it works really well. It's not nice when that works that way. You know, oh, it does. It makes it's, it's, no, it's much better than the opposite when you're like yeah. counting on something and it I'm, just disappoints I'm not, you. I'm not saying we're just shooting in the dark. I'm saying like you know, it's a six on this weed, but it does a really good job. All of a sudden, this one time, you're like, yeah, that yeah. feels good. I'm done with with alfalfa with Yukon. I'm done with that. Oh my god, that didn't work at all last year. So I'm done well, with that. Last year was like the the poster child year for things not working. I know, but I said that to a farm this week. I said. They, we were talking about burned down alfalfa, and they said, will this work? And I said, honestly, after last year on your farm, I'm not convinced anything kills alfalfa. <laughs> winter kill. And I, yeah, winter, winter kill. kill yeah. <laughs> the only herbicide you can call. Manure. Manure. No, no, but you're right. Some of those dicamba products didn't work like you'd expect at certain times. Yeah. And yeah, it was tricky. There's a, right. a lot of disappointments. All right, right. let's wrap it up then with numero five. All right, how patient do I need to be with the co-op? We say slash custom service in there. This this one was mine, right? This was my idea. Slash other people on your farm. Yes, like like, you can can have no control over. Slash everybody right now. The reason I threw this one in there is I've got, and I don't want to like, like, put down farmers. I don't want to put down the co-op here. Like I, I want to be like totally neutral in this spot, but I've gotten a lot of calls this week. Like, Hey, you ordered this, this spray or this fertilizer. Did the co-op spread it yet? And like, as an agronomist, we're in the middle. Like we want our stuff, our farmers to be happy, but we don't want to, we want make this co-op people upset when we call them and ask because they're just, you know, <laughs> like Max, you said before we, just a minute ago, like everything went in in four days, so that means all the fertilizer and all the spring is going to happen in the same time frame, and they just can't. You can't ramp up with enough equipment to just be have everybody happy in three days and let the equipment sit the and, rest of the year. And one of the things for us is that we, I think, we like as agronomists ourselves, the four people in this room, forget is I do not operate the sprayer. I do not move the seed tender. I do not deliver the fertilizer. But somehow that can be my fault every time that it's not there in time. You know what I'm saying? So, and we got to maybe take a step back and just, that's not my, that is not my job. <laughs> my job is to make the recommendation and I can bug them and say, when are you going to be here? That's but, it. I can't do anything else. But even like, just please be as patient as we can with, with the co-op people because and, and custom, like you said. Well, co-ops had staffing issues before it was cool. Right. Like, right. Now it's cool for everybody to have staffing right. issues, but co-ops so, have been so there no, they're, for a while. They're running understaffed. They're tired. Things you know, break. They, they, oh, like, they, or accidents, accidents happen. Accidents that, happen they yeah. had no, that wasn't even their fault most of the time. So they've got that part of it. I mean, farmers are used to breakdowns, and that happens at the co-op too. So all of those things like are just things that we got to be... I hate that word new normal because I'm just so stupid, but I think that's more of what I'm seeing of you go to a restaurant now or any sort of service and they're all understaffed and they'll tell you like there's stories of people going to like half empty restaurants and having to wait an hour for a seat because they don't have people to serve for you. Right. And, it, and it is that exact same thing right now in, I, in the egg industry, just in general. As much as I want to, we want to tell farmers be patient. I think we have to say to the service people, like be honest just yeah, like, tell tell us like yep. oh it's gonna get there today when in the back of your mind like no it's gonna be noon tomorrow like 
Just tell us so we can plan. And there's another point too of like just better communication in general. It seems like when when we're going like that, we it, the guy I just tell the farmers that are good communicators with the co-op are the ones that the co-op knows what the deal is, they know what the deal is, and it, it just gets done. And I had a farm they went and picked up their own tenders, you know, their own buggies. Right. And you know, because the co-op doesn't have enough guys to deliver those right now. So yeah, the one I talked to the, had 25 buggy orders to deliver and one driver. Right. Like, so that's, and we know, like, it's an hour or better round trip just to deliver one buggy, like, so. so that's and, the that's, kind and of, that's if you don't get stopped at the farm and right. have to talk about how the grandkids are and X, Y, Z, other thing. <laughs> right? I mean, realistically. Potentially, yes. So. Do your part to maybe go get that buggy then if you really need it. Right. Or or that box of chem that you need in past years, yeah, they would deliver it for you. This year, you're probably better off just going to, to grab it or or do some of that on the on the farm. So it that one is a, a tricky one because I'll be honest, on the flip side, I, I'm impressed by how much the co-ops got done in that short period it's of time. It's true. I mean, I it just floors me in some ways of like what kind of spray capacity we have. Well, even what kind of plant capacity we have. How much farmers got done planting too is just amazing. So it's it's being communicating to them so they know here's the list to spray. And then the other good part with a lot of this stuff is here's the other change I think that's been a big one is we went from just basically having all our corn being pre-emerged sprayed and then the beans will spray later. Now, in the last five years, it is like the flip-flopped, right? Like, so we're, we're putting cornfields aside. Like, right. We're not going to worry about them. we got to get the beans then sprayed. And the beans got to get sprayed. So then that's been tricky because it's this, like, just change in how the spraying's done. But we can still spray some beans post, and we'll figure, you know, go with Anthemax or... Perpetuo. Yeah, right, right. I'm doing a lot of Perpetuo this year. But that, that's the other part to think of is... Know that there is a plan B um, if you need it. Now, also remember, like, sometimes there's not, like, a conventional corn scenario. Like, you, you got to you get, get it done, spray. yeah. So there's oh certain times where, like, that's got to be known by the farm and by the co-op and by everybody. Like, nope, this this has got to get done. Here's where there's no, yeah, there's literally no plan, you know, any other plan. Like, you've got to go with plan A. But there's a lot of times where you can... Go with plan B, C, or D, and you'll be all right. Q, sometimes we get all the way to plan <laughs> yeah. Q. Plan Q, just quit and give up and <laughs> call it a day. Plan Q for quit. <laughs> all right, so there you go. There's some answers to some burning questions that maybe you had yourself or you know someone who has. So now we'll move into our spotlight for today. So the planters have picked up pace, but corn is still 18% behind and soybeans are 9% up behind average. So according to USDA, uh, corn planted acres last week doubled, going from 22% to 49% planted as of May 15th, yet uh, significantly below the five-year average of 67%. And last year, 94% of corn was planted by mid-May. And if you looked at when all that corn was planted, it was probably all within the same week. So We we literally just planted, like, I'm like, I'd say I've got 90% of my corn planted right now. It's and it was in from, four days. Yeah, it yeah. went from, like, it was, 40% to 80%. So that'll be interesting is this, like Matt said, is as of, like, May 15th. So obviously it changed a lot since then, too. So that's yeah. part of it. and. The other part we kind of talked about before is planting date doesn't matter. Emergence date matters. And we were tracking some emergence dates, and some of our earlier planted corn from last year had the same emergence date as our later planted corn this year. Right. So with that heat we got in a week, it really made stuff shoot out of the ground in six or seven days. So it was kind of amazing. Now, what will be interesting is some of that corn just got barely that it was going to come out and then we cooled down. And so that'll be an interesting tale of what that corn, how that fares it. I think it'll be fine, but it's just, it was like oddly that, you know, some of that corn just could race out of the ground and then some like got a super head start and then lagged kind of at the bottom, you know, at the end. So it'd be something we're watching. 
I wasn't able to be here last week, so I would have told this story last week. But two weeks ago today, I had to go to Iowa for the weekend, uh, Cedar Rapids. And we left on Friday, came back Sunday, and I saw one corn planter in the field at all. There was no tillage all the way from Green Bay to Cedar Rapids and back. I saw one corn planter on, on Sunday. So that was two weeks ago. And now we're almost, you know, like you said, Todd, we're almost done. So less than two weeks, we did a lot. I was just surprised in Iowa how much nothing was happening. Well, well looking at the map here in this article, it's the whole Midwest was behind with the Dakotas and Minnesota being the furthest. And then the South, like Texas, Tennessee, uh, Virginia, they or, uh, not Virginia, North Carolina, they're, they were ahead of schedule. And what's interesting is when you look at the soybean map compared to the corn map, Michigan was ahead in soybeans but behind in corn. So they were planting their soybeans first. And This is definitely the year to have two planters, a bean planter and a yeah. corn planter. Um, I mean, that's huge we, this year for guys couple, that had that. A couple places we did the old, hey, we haven't planted beans at the drill in years, but sure, let's, hey, let's bust her out. Some in. So yeah. we'll, see, we'll see how that goes. Look forward to seeing all that corn emerging, and there's a lot of stuff that's right on that peak. And with the weather we have now, the upside is at least well, I probably aren't going to see much crusting in the next <laughs> next week or so here with the amount of moisture we're supposed to get. So that'll be a good thing. All right, now we'll move into our ag history minute. This week we're going to talk spray. So while sprayers were once a niche product, today sprayers have become an essential piece of farm equipment for effective crop production. By properly applying chemicals to control weeds, insects, and diseases, you give your crop the best chance for high yields. In 1947, Ray Hagee, oh, that sounds familiar, founder of Hagee Manufacturing, invented the world's first self-propelled sprayer. This revolutionary piece of equipment would change how farmers and professional applicators apply pesticides. Today, self-propelled sprayers make up the majority of the farm spraying market, having largely replaced the pull type. The uptick in self-propelled sprayer ownership started in 2005, and there's an increase in Asian soybean rust, and farmers needed to have a sprayer available to make timely fungicide applications. Guidance systems and advanced controls have also made sprayers much easier to operate, contributing to the acceleration of on-farm sprayers. Sprayers continue to get more sophisticated with advanced technology like auto guidance, auto shutoff, and wide drop. So just like your tractor and planter, you get a lot more control over booms and sprayers and even the rate at which your spray is moving through the booms. So, well, I mean, we're doing the green seeking spraying is getting here now where the sprayer knows to turn on and off just based on whether or not there's weeds underneath it. I mean, that we're... Yep. It's a lot different than what Ray Hagee built in 1947, I, I would be willing to bet. Yep. And yet, every once in a while, you do see some really old pull-type sprayers out there. I just saw one the other day that uh, looked like the same one my grandpa had hanging in the shed. I was like, Ooh, like the yeah. brown tank and the yep. 30-foot boom. Fiber right, the one tank. where you can't really tell if it's full by looking right. at the side of the Those tank. You have to look down because yep. it's so clouded now. Where you can see all the strands of fiberglass, like... In, in it, yeah. Yep. Those are the good ones. <laughs> Those got some story to tell. Like, yeah. Like Ho- just hopefully see, the nozzle's been replaced like, since they were purchased. Yeah. Pulling, pulling, like, it, pulling it with an open station tractor. That's the real... It's like tree rings on there, probably, if you cut out the side. <laughs> you see all like, the chemical... Yep, here's where we went from... Uh, These were the DDT days. <laughs> yeah. From the early Banville days, and now we here we move into... These are the seven-pound seven atrazine days. Yeah, Bill, you could probably tell more stories. Than yeah, I don't have a lot of those. My favorite was, and Todd knows the farmer I'm talking about, one farmer that had one of those that would, um, in order to save the lawn, he put a piece of plywood yep. on the edge, edge to keep it the spray from drifting over. Oh. And so he had that. That's really smart. It nice. actually worked great. It worked really good, yeah. Really, really good. Yeah. But, the, yeah, the side of the board was like, it was like some sort of art, really, because <laughs> yeah. it would just be different colors and different, yeah, and then it had dust on it. It, it was, yeah, it was. It was <laughs> Don't, it wouldn't lick the board. No. Who knows they took it in the house and they were done and used it as a cutting board, right? Yeah. 
All right. Todd? All right. Thank you, Matt. And thank you to all our listeners out there. We appreciate you. And just listen to us while you're, hopefully this last week, I know when a lot of planters guys are listening to us, tillage equipment, so that's great. We appreciate it when you're, when you're in those long days and you got auto steer, you can just flip on your Apple Podcasts on your iPhone or on Android. Go download the apps Podcast Addict, Podbean, or Player FM. Please tell another farmer friend about our podcast. That's all we ask, and we appreciate all our listeners out there. You can also listen on a smartphone or computer browser. You go to tilthag.com slash podcasts. We're now available on Amazon Music, which that can, if you, if you like us on Amazon Music, you can ask your smart speaker to play your liked podcasts, and it'll play Tilth Talk Radio on there for you. And on Facebook and Twitter, please follow us at Tilth Talk Radio. All right. Thanks, Todd. <clears throat> now we'll move into our cool beans. That's corny for this week. So cool beans? Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Our cool beans this week. UW has named a new dean for the CALS program. Glenda Gillespie. We got, we got two badgers here. Yeah. Yeah. Two Cal we should, graduates. Yeah. We should we should really work on that. They dig holes, and you yeah. know we got to be careful. The badgers, yes, badgers, big diggers. Did you have to ever have to go meet the dean, Bill, or not? Were nope. you ever in trouble? <laughs> nope. Well, you were probably on the dean's list, maybe if uh, you did well enough. Yeah, I don't know. It wasn't. Yeah, I don't remember. Sure, you don't. Todd didn't no, make the dean's no, list. I, I, I definitely would have, but yeah, I don't know that that was... Uh, definitely. Oh, we like, went from... Oh, yeah, definitely. Oh, I made that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Real you, story comes I, out. Do you what know who I the can't dean believe, was when you were there? I don't remember. <laughs> Todd was on double secret probation when he was in What I can't school. believe now in Madison, they don't read your name off when you cross. Oh, yeah? Well, it's all in Camp Randall. Yep. I was just talking to a grad at a farm this last week, and yeah, I'm like, oh, you know, I saw kind of some pictures of it. And like, well, do they call your name? Because how are they going to call every? You know, literally, it's like everybody, I believe. Oh, I mean, so they they just do one big graduation. Oh, it was huge, yeah. In, yeah, the whole in, pictures I saw the whole. It was like it was, a football game. Yeah. The whole stadium was full of. But and they just put all the graduates on the field, right? Which right. About how big a football field is, right? And he said, yards. no, they don't. You know, they don't read your name off. They just get up and say the College of Egg. You know. So do you walk and across the stage? They didn't even walk across they do. either. No. Some of them have separate graduations for their school too. right and that's how it kind of well it was like it used to be in the coal center and it would just be split up i don't know there'd be maybe a couple smaller schools and you they'd still say your name and it was fine all right well plant scientist glenda gillespie is the new dean of the college of agriculture and life sciences at uw madison otherwise known as cals uh, she was a professor of biochemistry in the college of agriculture and life sciences at virginia tech since 98 and head of the department since 2015. So she graduated from Auburn, earned a doctorate in biochemistry from Case Western Reserve University. See, so there you go. She liked Case better than John Deere. She didn't go to John Deere University. <laughs> and then joined University of California, Berkeley, as a National Science Foundation postdoctoral fellow. So she's got lots of schooling behind her. She should know her stuff. She should know her stuff. We hope, anyway. So now she'll be here in Wisconsin after Dean Kate Vandenbosch announced she would step down from position at the end of this academic year, which would be pretty much right now, I would think. Yep. I don't know if they count the summer as the part of the academic year. I don't even I, know. I don't know. But pretty much now. So. so there you go. That's our cool beans. And then that's corny for this week. Uh, wheat is... So the wheat tour. Wheat tour, sorry. Yeah, wheat tour day two. 37 bushels per acre does not sound great. I, Second day of the wheat tour finds ranges from zero to 100 bushels. I'm not going to lie. I find the wheat tour in general just cheesy. Like, I just don't. <laughs> I'm not here for it. Like, I just don't. I don't. Do you like the corn tour when they do that? Meh. It better, but the wheat tour. Nah. So, I would struggle with, like, corn. I I believe they count, you know, cobs and there's a protocol to try to guesstimate the yield, but wheat to guesstimate yield is hard. It's pretty you hard. Know, it's yeah. harder to be close. I mean, you can 
you know when it's bad. I mean, zero zero bushels. I'm pretty sure, like, obviously, pretty sure you know when there's zero bushels. Yeah, there. Right? There's no but plants like, there. But the difference from like seventy bushel wheat to 110 bushel wheat's hard to know. You know, maybe and you can. But like so, you, if, if the, you if you walk in a seventy bushel field and 110, and you walk in them next to each other, you can be like, oh yeah, this one's better and this one's yeah. worse. But you can't be like. Yep, that's 72, and that's 105 for yeah. sure. P- apparently, they're comparing from last year that it looks way worse because 2021, Kansas was predicted to have 58 bushel per acre average. This year, 37 bushel average. So they think it looks a solid 21 bushel less than last year. Solid. So wheat price is going to go up more? I guess. I mean, I know they've had some hail and some other stuff go through... Um, parts of kansas just in general weather's been kind of all over the place with flooding in some states <laughs> excuse me and in storms tornadoes hail i mean we had hail around here but i don't think any too many wheat fields got hammered too bad they were pretty small here's a little a little part of this article the calculated yields are based on a formula from the usda national ag statistics service um, the yields calculated were, ba- were based on this formula, but many tour participants remarked that those yields seemed high. <laughs> hmm. Oh, good. The yields are so short that some of the heads will not be able to be picked up by combines at harvest. The yield formula doesn't take disease, pests, or weed pressure into consideration. Well, that seems pretty silly. Right. What does the formula See what, what, <laughs> yeah, see, see what I'm really, saying about how yeah. cheesy the weed no, tour is? I, I, so, and it's mostly... Oklahoma and Kansas is where they they do this. So the, the breadbasket, yeah. The wheat in Southwest Kansas looks rough. Drought conditions there aren't isolated to that part, but move into Central Kansas. Wheat behind corn provided some of the lowest yields, while wheat on fallow ground had some of the highest yields. So mm. a lot of that probably came down to timing. You know, you could plant it. Whenever you want on fallow ground versus having to wait for the corn to come off, but yeah, in general, that does sound like a pretty corny way to estimate your your yield bushels. So there you go. That'll do it for today. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us, Matt. So today we talked about some burning questions we're hearing from the field in our spotlight. We looked at the planting pace as it is as of mid-May. Hey, history minute. We talked about sprayer technologies. Cool Beans was UW has hired a new Cal's Dean. That's corny was somehow they're kind of guesstimating wheat and guesstimating it low. So see if that impacts the price at all. Thanks for listening. And for, as always, happy farming.